Oh my word, you look exactly the same. <laughs> I was gonna say the exact same thing about you. Welcome to season two, episode twelve of the Chalk Dust Podcast, where teachers talk about their experiences in the classroom. Because once the dust settles, every teacher has a story to tell. This is Kirby Alexander, your host, and today I'm talking with Mallory Burkhead Graham, a teacher in Virginia. I've known Mallory since 2007 when she was a student in my educational technology class at the University of Virginia. In addition to being an amazing student and future teacher, Mallory was our twin boy's very first babysitter. I am really looking forward to catching up with Mallory and finding out what she's been up to for the past few years. More specifically, I can't wait to hear what she has to share with us about her teaching career. Let's go ahead and get started. All right. Well, Mallory, it's so great to be able to catch up with you. It's been a really long time since uh, we've talked. I think the last time we saw each other, we were both uh, students at the University of Virginia. So it's, it's great to finally get a chance to catch up. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. And so uh, I've got some, some questions I'm going to go through here. And uh, I'm just going to start off with, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Uh, what are you teaching? Where do you teach? Um, subjects, that kind of thing. Sure. I, um, I'm at Andrew Lewis Middle School, which is a little city school in Virginia, and I teach eighth grade English, and I've got some differentiated classes. I've got a standard class and then an advanced class, and I teach five different classes. All right. Very good. And um, have you always taught eighth grade, or um, have you kind of taught a variety of subjects and a variety of grades? Um, I have been all over the place, which I would suggest to many teachers to kind of branch out because I, I think that has made me a much better teacher. Kind of, mm -hmm. I've been on both ends. I've taught yeah. kindergarten, taught first grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, and uh, three years prior to this, I taught a little bit at the college level. Oh wow! So I think being able, yeah, seeing where kids are coming from before eighth grade and kind of seeing where they're going, it kind of levels you out about what they really need mm -hmm. uh, to be successful and where they're coming from and kind of how you can help them based on where they've come from in their yeah. educational journey. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you really have taught a lot of, a lot of ages, a lot of subjects. That's really great. Yeah, And I've taught in the elementary level, I've taught primarily math. So hmm. to make the jump to English at first, I had to be like, okay, hold on. You did get a degree in English. You know how to do this. And set <laughs> math aside. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I think teaching the different subject areas and the different levels definitely helps you with that flexibility piece of being a teacher. Oh yeah. Well, that's great. So, uh, kind of backing up a little bit, tell me how you got, uh, got your first teaching job. Like what's the story of you landing that first teaching position? Well, I finished UVA early, so it was a five-year program. As you know, we were kind of mm -hmm. there at the same time. Yeah. You were my great professor. Um, <laughs> but the so that half year where I could have just been subbing, mm. I was able to finish the half year early. I was able to land a job because the teacher was very ill mm. and they needed an immediate sub. So I'd been kind of subbing at the school, so they just had me fill in for her. So I landed that fourth grade job. Looking back, I probably didn't really do that well of a job. You think you know everything until yeah. they throw you into the mix and you're like, hold on, wait a second. I don't really know what I'm doing yet. Um, <laughs> but I guess the district had faith in me. So they hired me on full time that next year 
to go from fourth to fifth grade in my own real first classroom that was mm. just mine. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so I know you had a little bit of a different start than most teachers do because you just kind of jumped in, right? you know, basically, I guess, and you had the winter holiday to think about it. Uh, but then, you know, as you knew you were going to be full-time at that school the next year and you start thinking about, you know, all the stuff you have to do in that, in that, you know, really was kind of ends up being your first full-time classroom, you know, what were you feeling? You know, did you, uh, have kind of a vision for what you wanted your classroom to look like? What kind of preparations did you make as you got ready for that first year? Um, I think for me, you know, UVA taught, and I'm sure most education programs teach you, mm. there are obviously the greats and the theories and the philosophies, and you want to use those to guide you. Mm -hmm. But really, and I really fundamentally believe this, teaching is like an act of heart. And in my mm. heart, I just wanted like a warm, welcoming place where mm -hmm. I valued the students and I valued who they were as people. And I knew that they would each kind of be on different academic levels and I could figure all that out. Yes. But for me, I just wanted them to come in and have that connection. And then we could build the year together. Like the academics are going to fall into place, but that connection piece to me was more important in terms of building my classroom. I wanted the relationships mm. to be built prior to kind of worrying about the academics. I could figure all that out right. as the year went on. Well, hopefully anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, no. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, you have to. And I, th I think that's something a lot of teachers don't think about is, you know, they right. think about where they want to put their desks, but maybe maybe right. they don't think so much about how they want to create a warm uh, social and emotional environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and great. And I think now with pandemic times, if we can jump forward many years, that piece is almost the most important because you're not going to get the students to be involved if you see them one one day a week, no days a week, however often you see them, mm -hmm. they have to have a connection to you before they can have a connection to your content. Yeah, no, that's 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 really true these days because you're right. Uh, you may not actually see them in person either ever right. or hardly or you know once a week or something. That's really that's really important. So uh, you know, once you kind of had everything the way you wanted it, you know, what was it like, like? that first week of school or that first, you know, I guess what we would call the honeymoon period in your, in your classroom where you were just getting to know your students, what, you know, kind of how, what was that like for you uh, as you kind of went, worked through the first few days of school? So I did in like my educational planning at UVA, mm -hmm. I always wanted to teach it, obviously now I don't, but I thought I'm going to be like a kindergarten teacher and I'm going <laughs> to teach the babies or, you know, <laughs> elementary school. That was my thing. And I, yeah. I watched your baby. So, you know, like yes. that was my thing. But um, so in that sense, for the beginning of the year and kind of getting to know everyone, it was beautiful. Like there mm -hmm. were hiccups and you learn things and you adjust and that's fine. But for me, the biggest transition was jumping from elementary to eighth grade, which I'm in now. Mm -hmm. And I, like I said, I've been teaching math and I was teaching the little kids. And then I jumped to eighth grade thinking I know everything and it's just older kids. And yeah. it was pretty chaotic because the things I was dishing out, they weren't taking at all because they aren't 10. They're 13 <laughs> and 14. Yeah. So 
you know, the beginning days of teaching elementary school, I was built for that. So I thought, and then jumping to eighth grade was pretty challenging. But once I kind of figured out where they wanted you to be as a teacher and Mm -hmm. kind of how I wanted to run my classroom, it was just an adjustment. But that's that flexibility piece that teachers kind of need to have. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, what would you what were kind of your biggest adjustments you made uh, as you started to try to relate to the the older students? What were some of the the, the main shifts you had to make? Um, and elementary school students, they listen really well for the most part. And mm-hmm. they don't Now, Of course, this is can change district to district, yeah. but they still, I would argue, really love the teacher. They want to please the teacher. Mm. You know, they want the sticker or the star on the paper and they will work really hard for that. Mm-hmm. Eighth graders don't necessarily care about that. They <laughs> wanted to make TikToks and they wanted to Snapchat each other from across the room. So I don't want to use the word gimmick, but it's almost like you have to pull them in. You got to have something gotcha. to get them more involved with you. Not just like, okay, you're going to get a sticker. You're going to move up on your chart. None of that's going to work for yeah. a middle schooler. Right. Yeah, I've noticed that even as my own kids have gotten older, that um, school is almost like the excuse for them to be with their friends. Oh, yeah. yeah. They just want to hang out and have fun. Like, yes. No, you also have to learn. We have to learn, too. <laughs> right, exactly. We're here for a reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, when you spend those first few days or first week or whatever, figuring that kind of thing out, learning who your students are, what makes them tick, you know, I know you, you put a lot of effort into that, but... Uh, what was it like, especially early on in your career, when you had to make that switch from getting to know your students and helping them understand what they were expected to do in your classroom, and then making that move into like actually planning lessons and, and just teaching every day? What was, you know, how was that? No, I think if you, when you're doing the like introduction, the few activities, and you're doing the get to know you stuff, and you're establishing that connection, if you blend into that, your expectations, mm-hmm. and, and I know this sounds like, you know, that's just the educational jargon, but it's true. If you blend your expectations really solidly into those beginning weeks, like, mm-hmm. guys, this is our path. This is what we want to do. I don't want to say it's seamless, but it almost is because you've done so good to build up what's coming that they're ready for it. Yeah. You, you as the teacher are obviously prepared. You know, we have mountains of lesson plans and ideas. Mm-hmm. You have to prepare the students too. They have to be ready to learn. So it, this is all fun and we're playing games and we're getting to know each other, but there's a purpose behind this because we're building on to what's coming. Right. So even something that doesn't seem necessarily academic, there's a goal involved in that activity right. that helps them understand uh, your boundaries, your expectations, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's really good. If, if they can see the future kind of with you, then for the most part, if you kind of establish your classroom discipline and your management style, they'll follow along that path with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, did you did you find it difficult at all early on uh, to, to plan lessons and to to, to plan instruction? Or, or did, was that something that you felt like you were pretty... Uh, pretty prepared to do? Um, I do think program-wise, obviously going way back to college a long time ago, Yeah. UVA definitely, that program specifically, and college programs do prepare you to write lessons. Mm -hmm. But 
maybe not so much to write what they're actually going to look like. Right. And I, what I mean by that is, <laughs> and I, you know, I taught at Roanoke College. It's a local college in Salem. Yeah. Um, you write pages and pages of lesson plans, but that's more for the professor to see that you have the proper direction and standards mm. and you're aligning things properly. Yeah. When you get into the real world, it looks like that. And you're like, all right, here we go. We jotted that down. We're going to do that um, tomorrow. Yes. It's not so much to me what's physically in the plans and what's typed out and what someone's going to see laying on your desk. It's mm -hmm. the thought process that you as an educator mm -hmm. put into it and how you're linking everything together. So also, I'm very type A. So even though I say it looks like this somewhere else, it's not just handwritten on a piece of paper. It's like fully top are fully typed into yeah. an interactive calendar with interactive links. Mm -hmm. So that might be personality wise. Um, right. I actually think planning is one of my hobbies. <laughs> well, that's good. If you're going to yeah. be a teacher, you know, planning is a good hobby to have. That's funny. Yeah. So, um, uh, have you ever had those moments along the way where you just kind of stop and ask yourself, like, what have I gotten myself into? And, you know, what's typically your process for working yourself through those those moments where you, you know, just start to maybe you feel really frustrated or disillusioned with with right. teaching? Um, obviously, every teacher has that day or that moment or mm -hmm. maybe that month. It's just not working out um, for me. And everybody's different, but education is like my favorite thing. And I tell my husband all the time, I could never see myself doing something else. I'm pursuing a PhD right now. I don't know what I want to do with it or <laughs> why I'm getting it or what my direction is because I could never see myself outside of the classroom because hmm. I truly love it. But you have those moments of frustration, of course, when I left teaching fifth grade math and jumped right into eighth grade English, probably the whole first month I was thinking, what in the world is happening and who are these kids and why is nothing that I'm used to doing working, but mm -hmm. I've been teaching elementary school for 10 years. Yeah. So just kind of reflecting again, like, okay, this is frustrating. This is hard, but why am I doing this? I love kids. I love teaching. You know, it's a hard day or a hard week, but it's not always going to be hard. We'll just keep muscling through the hard moments and right. we'll get back on track. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, I imagine, um, that teaching now looks a little different than it did even when you started. And so what have you seen yeah. as some of the, the major shifts in the teaching profession since, since you started uh, as, a, as a brand new teacher? Um, obviously, the biggest shift for me has been technology and hmm. access to technology and the shift where, you know, in fifth grade, when I started, we were doing everything by like holding it primarily. And right. if you wanted, you know, holding the worksheet, holding the book, you know, open to page 27, we were still doing that mm -hmm. 13 years ago. Um, and then if you wanted the laptop part or the iPad part, you had to sign up and the schedule was full. And well, I can't get the iPads till next month. <laughs> now it's one to one and every student comes in. And instead of saying turn to page 12, it's like open up your Chromebook, click on this link. That's what we're doing today. Wow. So yeah. technology has kind of overtaken things. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's now a balance of it still can't replace the teaching. Like solid, explicit instruction, I don't think a computer can ever touch. Right. And I'll always say that. Yes. Um, you know, other things, class sizes are different now. A lot of 
when I first started teaching, it was like, you got your 30 kids and you take your 30 kids and everybody has 30 kids. Mm -hmm. Now there's, which is a wonderful in 13 years, there's more emphasis on, you know, it's better to have smaller groups. It's better to have a smaller ratio of teacher to student. Um, services. I hmm. think a lot of schools, um, I'm in charge of VTSS. Are you familiar with VTSS? It might be specific to Virginia, but okay. I'm sure Texas has something. Probably something it's basically, like it. Yeah, it's a multi-tiered systems of support. Okay, So yes. in schools, um, I kind of help run that at my school and just seeing how hard people are working to give the services that students need to all of the students now instead of maybe just select groups. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of encouraging. I yeah. think we're moving in a good direction there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So is, would that be similar? We have something called uh, RTI, Response to Intervention. I guess that's yeah. probably something that's similar. That's kind of blended into the VTS. V Virginia just gave it a name. Virginia likes to give things names. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, Texas does too. Texas yeah. likes to take what everyone's doing, but kind of put uh -huh. their little spin on it. <laughs> this is what we call it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I, we do the same thing. Um, so, you know, I imagine, you know, you've taught at this point, several hundred students. I mean, you may be yeah. approaching the thousand benchmark. I don't know. Oh um, gosh, I have to write it down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't teach math anymore. Don't make me do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm an English teacher. Don't make me use a calculator. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess beyond things like test scores and grades, you know, now that you know you've taught a lot of students, been in this a, uh, a long time, how do you measure success for yourself as a teacher? Oh boy, uh, well, I want to be like, well, the kids get good grades and good test scores. That means I did it right. <laughs> I, I I just think if kids grow at all in their time with you, then you're successful, and it doesn't have to be academic growth. I mean, if I'm in eighth grade teaching a student who might read on like a lower elementary level, getting them to an eighth grade level or a ninth grade level might not be possible. So mm -hmm. that wouldn't be fair to say, well, you didn't reach eighth grade level. You didn't grow. To me, if I'm successful, then they've grown as a person or as a friend or, you know, they've learned a value of respect, mm -hmm. respecting themselves or respecting the teacher it doesn't necessarily have to be academic growth for me. Like if we've gone through the year and we've come out better in some mm -hmm. way, then, then I've been successful. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, related to that, how do you think your students describe you? Um, they definitely would laugh at my discipline style because when I try to yell at them or discipline them, they laugh at me and ask <laughs> if I'm serious. Because I don't have a very good poker face. So when I try to be like, listen, guys, this time it's real. They all laugh. And they're like, yeah, Miss Graham, you can't be mean. Um, I don't know. I, even at the eighth grade level, and from, so I taught kindergarten, first grade, all the way up. I've always said I love you to every single one of my kids. Hmm. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how old you are. When you leave the room, I say, oh, I love you. Have a good day. Mm -hmm. So probably describe me as loving um, maybe fun, hopefully fun. I don't know, yeah. but I, I try to always lead with love. So like I've been saying, the academic stuff will come, but you're going to be loved and valued in my room. And then we'll see what happens next. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, and kind of, it's somewhat related to that, but I'm thinking about, you know, 
what you as a teacher had to go through starting last March and then this year, you know, you've teachers have kind of gone through a, a shift in, in what they do, you know, like really right. like we haven't seen ever. So kind of what, ex- describe what it was like uh, when you had to go remote last spring and then, you know, what kinds of adjustments have you had to make this year uh, uh, in order to maintain those kinds of connections? So for us in March, you know, everybody was coming and, and school was going on as planned. And then mm-hmm. you hear the news and the pandemic and it's spreading. So we had a staff meeting. I can't, I think it was slightly before spring break, mm-hmm. but it was basically like this, this is it. Nobody's coming back. You're going to go on spring break. You need to clean out your rooms. If you need something in the classroom to teach with, you're, you're going to be teaching from your homes. You're not allowed in the building anymore. Neither are the kids. Hmm. And for me, with that loving relationship, it was like heartbreaking. I was crying. I had kids reaching out like, what are we going to do? We can't be together. Hmm. You know, I had kids eating lunch in my room all the time. So outside of the academics, the relationships felt like shattered. It was like, what are we going to do? We're never going to see each other again. It was that kind of like panic Hmm. in some of us. Um, So we we Zoomed a lot. Obviously, we had Hmm. to start teaching online. And I would just like keep my Zoom open and kids would hop on and off and we'd eat lunch together. And, you know, hey, are you going to walk your dog? You want to get on Zoom? Let's go. <laughs> Everybody take your computer outside. It was silly stuff like that. But yeah. that's at the time, I think the students needed that more. They were kind of afraid. Society was kind of crazy and the pandemic. Nobody knew very much yet. Science was still trying to figure everything out. Mm-hmm. So they really just needed you, the adult, there with them, like the trusted teacher. Okay, maybe we're not really doing our worksheet today, but we can talk about some things while we are together. Mm-hmm. Um, some kids fell off, and I made like 6,000 million phone calls from <laughs> my cell phone, which yeah. is fine. Um, and it went from the requirement being, oh, okay, I've given you a week's worth of work. You need to do all the work well, I haven't even seen this child in a few months. So now if you'll just answer the phone and talk to me and kind of orally give me some answers, maybe that'll be your definition Mm -hmm. of success. Um, So the success merit kind of changed a little bit and what all the teachers were taking as completed work or examples Mm. of mastery definitely changed. Yeah. And then we kind of roll into, you know, we have summer still trying to figure out what everything is going to look like. And then we roll into this year and I don't know about Texas, but we are hybrid. Okay. So we've got students that come Monday and Thursday. Those are our AB kids. And then we have students that come Tuesday and Friday. That's CB kids. And then we have students who opted to be all virtual. Ah. So I teach Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday to all the kids on the days that they come. It's kind of a crazy schedule to keep up with. Um, Hmm. And then on Wednesdays, I teach on Zoom to my virtual students. Hmm. And then we just recently have allowed students that might be struggling or virtual is not exactly working or they need more support. They can now come in on Wednesday and we have to schedule kind of opening the building one more day. Okay. So we're trying to meet everybody's needs in this altered, scheduled, hybrid world. Um, yeah. But if you're not successful, we're also trying to open up different avenues for that success. Right. Absolutely. And so just to make sure I'm clear on that, you 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 have a class that's either all virtual or you have all the in-person students. Do you ever have any classes where 
some of the students are remoting in and some are in the room and you're trying to teach both groups? So just recently, we have decided that we might start doing that. And it would be maybe kind of up to teacher discretion. Like some okay. teachers, we're basically opening up a second Zoom. So right now the requirement is your one Zoom on Wednesday and that's for all your virtual kids. You kind of help them as they pop in and out of like little groups or whatever on Zoom. Yeah. But now we're going to open up an additional Zoom. And if you are a teacher who feels comfortable, you could like open your Zoom and set it in the corner. And then it would be like the kids are live streaming your class. Yeah. Or you could do it during planning and just kind of roll through your lesson again. Okay. So my district is very good at allowing teachers to kind of do what works best for them. Like That's here's good. what you have to do, but it can, it can fit within your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, parameters or likes. Yeah, that's that's probably more similar to what I'm doing in teaching college classes, where I'll be teaching to a room full of people, but I have people watching the class remotely. And How then, does that work for you? Is that uh, it's hard to manage. It's it's been really yeah. difficult to try to get the online students, in particular, involved in the lesson. You right. know, you know, because even if I put Zoom on the main screen and have them share what they were discussing or share their ideas. Sometimes they won't turn on their camera. So you just hear a voice. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's little things like that. Whereas the students who are in the classroom, they're interacting, we're able to have conversations. And just proximity to the teacher. I don't think, I don't think teachers realize the value in that until that was like ripped out from under us. Right. Just having someone in the same room as you makes such a humongous difference to the learning and an opportunity. No, absolutely. I totally agree. And my own kids, the school district where they attend has been doing something pretty similar to what we're doing at TCU where they go to school in person and every family has that option, but they're on a regular bell schedule. uh, Like you, like we were used to before all this happened and the students who are remote have to just log into their classes when it's time for class. So I think so we a... tried that in the spring, but I don't know that the success rate was that high. Yeah. There was like a typed out schedule mm-hmm. from eight to three, you know, and it just, it didn't exactly work. So now with just this one day, there's a pretty high rate of attendance because it's your one focus time for your right. one class and you need to get on and do it. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I think there's a lot, quite a few similarities, but you know, I think the overall theme is that it's been a huge challenge. <laughs> yeah, it Trent. definitely has been a challenge. Definitely have to uh, change methodologies and try new things and just put it out there and see what happens. Um, yeah. Are you guys using like a Inquire or Canvas or a learning mm. management system? Yes, we uh, at the university level we use what's called uh, D2L Desire to Learn, which is. Okay. Uh, it's uh, made by Brightspace. It's similar to Can. It's probably the sim- most similar to Canvas. Uh, right. My boys in their school district use uh, Google Classroom. Uh, that's yeah, kind of that's tough. kind of the hub where everything, which yeah. is uh, something I like. I like that quite a bit too. It's great, I think, for disseminating information. It's not always the right. best for like things like grades, but it's super easy right. for submitting assignments and for teachers putting assignments out there. And yeah. So we had, when school shut down last year, we were like a Google Classroom school and mm. you didn't have to use it, but it was kind of there. 
I was one of the teachers who had everything happening in class, but it was also always on Google Classroom. Ah. Here's the video if you missed, you know, it was just kind of a second class of what happened during the day. Yes. And then we all find out Google Classroom is no more. You can't use it anymore. We're switching to Canvas. So this summer was mostly teachers trying to figure out what in the world is Canvas and Mm -hmm. how do you use it and why can't we have Google Classroom? And obviously we're well in now and everybody gets it and it's, in my opinion, a wonderful system once you kind of work through the kinks. Yes. But for a while, we were all kind of heartbroken to lose our Google Classroom. (laughs) Oh, I know. Yeah, and it's good to learn any system just so that if you do have to make a switch, that new new system is that that much easier to learn. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely a a plug for teachers out there to learn whatever platform their school district uses because you never know how you're going to need it. Uh, yeah, just try. Um, for me, too, like I mentioned, I'm getting my PhD. Well, I'm doing it online, and the school uses Canvas. Oh. So I kind of get a benefit that others don't, that I'm a teacher on Canvas and a student on Canvas. Right. So I have both worlds to kind of blend and figure out, well, what actually is going to work and what isn't going to work? Because I right. see it as a student and as a teacher, so I know there's some good and some bad aspects happening right. here. And, you know, you're the person who could uh, email your professor and say, I know how to do the thing in Canvas that you couldn't figure out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can, I just, can I fix one thing for you real quick? Because that's not right. Yeah, exactly. I'll fix it for you. And then it'll work for everybody. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely been a huge adjustment for everybody. Uh, but, you know, it sounds like you're doing, you know, doing a great job and you've, you know, really just kind of rolled with the punches and just kind of kept the mission yeah. at the forefront of what you do. So I think great. in teaching, you kind of have to do that. Rolling with the punches should be like on everybody's desk. Just take a deep breath. Yeah. You're going to get some, tomorrow. It might change. And then the day after it might change and it might change again next week. Just take a deep breath. It'll all work out in the end. Right. It's going to be okay. Exactly. That's awesome. So, you know, when you think about your teaching career, like up to this point, like you just think of it really broadly, what comes to the forefront of your mind when you just when you reflect on your career up to this point as a teacher? I think for me, personally, my career as a teacher has been so impacted because I've been in so many places. Hmm. One of the biggest impacts on me as a teacher came from teaching in Alaska. Oh, so yeah. my husband is military. Okay. And I only taught there a year. But just the diversity that was there and kind of the things that my students were going through that I think was um, significant Mm. only to that area of Alaska changed me as a teacher. And I think when I came back, that's where I have so much more of a loving personality. Like, we've got to start with love. That matters so much more because of what I witnessed there. Um, There was a lot of homelessness, a lot of families that were dealing with drugs and alcoholism and Mm. um, in my classroom a lot of them didn't speak English and there wasn't like an interpreter to help me so I was talking to a group of students who would talk to a group of students who would talk it was just a different system and the school Mm. was great and the resources were great I mean the science resources in Alaska I still talk about but just the impact of what was happening to the families and the students has impacted me now and will forever. Wow. So, okay, academics matters, but what these little 
children, even my eighth graders, their kids, what they're facing outside of the school has such an impact on what's going to happen when they get into your classroom that you got to start there. Hmm. You're not just teaching this blanket set of students. They're all coming with all of this stuff from their home lives and their parental figures, whether they have them or not. Mm -hmm. You have to take that all into account. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I had forgotten that you uh, taught in Alaska briefly. I know that, you know, we're, we're, Facebook friends. And so I I get, I get, I see updates from time to time on everybody, you know, what everybody's up to, but I had forgotten that. Yeah. What a great experience. Still living there too was wonderful. Oh, I imagine. Teaching there definitely changed me a lot. Yeah. Oh, I've I've taught in very affluent areas and then some that are not. So, um, I just think being in different locations with different groups of students and different parental supports and different administrators, like you said, roll with the punches. You just learn to take things and let them mold you and turn into the teacher that the kids need. The kids that you're presented with, the teacher that they need hmm. is who you have to rise up to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's great. Well, Mallory, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, um, but I really appreciate the uh, time you've given me to talk through, talk about your career as a teacher, what you've learned, what we can learn from you. I think there's a lot to learn just from hearing teacher stories. And, and I've definitely learned a lot from, from talking to you today. Uh, and I will, you know, I'm not sure whether I need to offer condolences or good wishes as you <laughs> pursue your PhD. <laughs> I've been there, so right, I know yeah. exactly what you're going through. But it's a I process think, for sure. <laughs> no, for sure. But you're going to do great. And I think that's a, it's a great goal to aim for. Um, so I really appreciate it. And thank you so much. Thank you.